Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Holyrood Sources podcast is brought to you in association with SSE Berwick Bank. We all want a clean energy system that creates jobs, tackles climate change, and supports local communities. But to get there takes more than just ambition. It takes action. In Berwick Bank, Scotland can build the world's largest offshore wind farm. That's right, the biggest anywhere, creating thousands of jobs in the process. SSE, as Scotland's clean energy champion, can't wait to get started. As soon as the project gets the green light from government. Learn more at berwickbank.com. The podcast starts now. In terms of uh, where we would uh, where we would uh, look to build that uh, new fund, I reference that uh, in the speech, of course, that would come from oil and gas revenues, but also where necessary from Scottish government uh, borrowing. And we said up to 20 billion, and of course uh, that will be phased uh, over, uh, of course, a number of years. I uh, mentioned uh, over over a decade. Hello and welcome to Holyrood Sources. We're recording on Tuesday the 9th of January. I'm Callum MacDonald. Welcome to the podcast and welcome to 2024 on Holyrood Sources. A big year, big election year, and we are right here to guide you through it. I say we, Jeff Aberdeen's here, former Chief of Staff to Alex Salmond. Hello, Jeff. Good morning. And Andy McKeever's here, former Director of Communications to the Scottish Conservatives. Hello, Andy. Good morning, good morning. We did a Happy New Year off the podcast and we've decided it'd be inappropriate to do it on the podcast, so nobody mentioned that and it'll be fine. Uh, Right, how are you both doing? Are you both well and rearing to go for what is going to be a big and exciting 2024, starting, by the way, with our energy special podcast at the end of January in Aberdeen, um, in association with the Aberdeen and Grampian Chamber of Commerce, who are putting on the event, and we're going along to host it, and ask some questions of some politicians, and hear questions from, well, I think it's 300 people uh, in the audience, Jeff. Um, it's, it's all getting a bit it's all getting a bit serious, but it's an important conversation to have, and we're doing it on the 30th of January, which is good. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the the fact we sold out so quickly um, is just testament to the fact how important this issue is, uh, not just for Scotland, but for the entire UK. But also, it's an indication of how interested actually industry, businesses, supply chain companies in the energy sector are in terms of hearing what their uh, elected politicians I have to say, and what their you know uh, respective visions are for the industry. So I think it's going to be a fascinating evening. I'm actually really looking forward to it and see if we can shed some some light on on what the parties are going to do ahead of the the election in terms of this massive area of policy. 
Definitely. And I should say, it's our first live event of the year. There's going to be more throughout 2024. Um, our first one ever was with Hamza Yusuf, the first minister last year in August in Edinburgh, which was Brill. So we've got energy at the end of this month and then lots more to come over the course of the year. If you want to be the first to hear about these sorts of events that you can come along to, uh, then you can, of course, subscribe to the podcast, which you should do anyway. But you can also sign up to our mailing list. Um, we're going to send our first ever email this week. I've decided. So that's exciting. Uh, you can go to hollywoodsources.com. That's the website. Then there's a, a page on there that says get our emails and put your email address into the box that is there and you will get all the info on all of our live events. Uh, right, let's get to it, shall we? Because uh, First Minister Hamza Yusuf and Scottish Labour leader Anna Sarwar have both given New Year speeches in which they've been, well, something, something setting out directions of travel. Um, for, you know, in, in terms of how much detail there is, something we can discuss and we'll get into. And in terms of what they've said that might be new and might offer something of a direction to voters is something we'll definitely discuss. But Andy, I, I think, first of all, I want to ask whether these speeches, which were both yesterday within you know minutes of each other, it felt like, were they about setting a direction for the general election 2024 campaign or for the Scottish parliamentary election 2026 campaign? Or is it possibly a bit of both? And if so, how does that work? I think for uh, for Labour and the SNP, it's both. I think it's a bit different for the Tories. I think those campaigns are slightly separate for the Tories. But for Labour and the SNP, it actually is quite important to have these grouped together. Firstly, because from a Labour perspective, Anas Sarwar cannot be First Minister of Scotland unless Keir Starmer is Prime Minister of the UK. If Rishi Sunak pulls a win out of the bag, which is obviously unlikely, but not totally impossible, there is no chance that Anas Sarwar can be First Minister because a Tory win at Westminster is the perfect result for the SNP's narrative. The SNP will be able to say, look, we told you so. We told you you can't get rid of the Tories unless you vote SNP. They'll always be there unless you go for independence. The Tories will always be there. Whereas if Keir Starmer wins and becomes Prime Minister, that decade-long, longer probably SNP narrative of you have to vote for independence to get rid of the Tories becomes irrelevant. It's not true anymore. Um, and that gives Anas Sarwar a platform, especially if he's had lots of MPs returning from Scotland, that gives him a pretty good platform for Hollywood. So those for Labour, those two things are hand in hand. And then I suppose in the reverse sense, I guess, for the SNP, they go hand in hand because the positive momentum of Labour from Westminster into Hollywood is potentially reversed for the SNP. You know, you have a situation where the SNP are inevitably going to lose quite a large number of seats. And the question is just how many they're going to lose. But the, the number of seats they lose and whether or not Labour overtakes them or become as strong as them and whether Labour are in charge at Westminster has a very direct relationship to the SNP's prospects for Holyrood in 2026. We are entering probably the most interesting two and a half years that we've had in Scottish politics for well over a decade. It's potentially very significant change. It's definitely not business as usual. It's different. No question about that. And for political geeks like us, it's heaven, isn't it, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of uh, heaven and indeed uh, other such references, Hamza Yusuf insisted he's not promising rivers of milk and honey in an independent Scotland in his speech. Um, he obviously, as you, as you might expect, took a bit of a shot at both the Conservatives and Labour, observes the Herald in this sort of pitch, really, to kind of go for independence in the interests of everyone. Let's have a, a little listen to some of what Hamza Yusuf had to say. The UK is the poor man of Northwest Europe. Those trends were already taking hold before Brexit. Leaving the European Union means a further long-term hit to the economy. All the while, Tories and Labour offer nothing new. But for Scotland, there is a choice. We can accept our place as part of this low productivity, high inequality economic model, or we can decide to chart a better course. That's First Minister Hamza Yusuf. So he was speaking really sort of centering around the economic case for independence during his speech. And one of the headline grabbers from this, Jeff, was him pointing to research from the Resolution Foundation which he used to argue that uh, Scottish people would be better off after independence. Uh, he said the prize for the typical Scottish household would be uh, even greater 
than the study had suggested. Everyone would be, or a household would be £10,200 better off. That then is the huge prize of independence. This was, it was focused on independence. This whole speech was built on independence. Should we be surprised by that? Uh, well, I, I was. Um, I have to be honest, this is the first uh, big speech of uh, what is an election year. And as Andy's rightly pointed out, a, a massively important period for the SNP, which has the potential to really shake things up in, t- in the Scottish political context. Hamza Yusuf clearly gone on independence uh, um, as his key pitch. I think the reason behind that, the strategy behind that, is what we've alluded to on this podcast before, that uh, there is evidence that SNP voters, previous SNP voters, have been navigating towards the Labour Party, shifting to the Labour Party. That was borne out in Rutherglen. It's been borne out in a lot of the polls as well. But yet, independent support is still very strong. And so he's clearly trying to make a pitch to those voters to say, you know, come back, we've got this vision. My my problem with the speech, though, is that this election is not going to be fought on the merits of independence, first and foremost. It's going to be fought on who's going to be the next Prime Minister of the UK. The SNP will have less ability to kind of dictate the terms of this contest because it isn't a holiday election. It is a UK general election. And so I do wonder if that kind of narrative, if a lot of people are just sitting at home going, yeah, that, that's fine, but that's not in the ballot box this time. I want to know what you're going to do as a party for me in the run-up to the election so I can test you on your manifesto. So I kind of felt, if I'm being honest, and I get that the SNP always has to have a reference to independence in its offering. I understand that. It's what it stands for. But I do think they needed to have more analysis, scrutiny, and exposure on what Labour, its principal opposition, is saying and doing and trying to find areas in which it can undermine the Labour Party approach. I do believe, though, there is a party event on Friday that Hums is speaking at as well. We might get more indication of what the actual party's electoral strategy will be at the general election there. But for me, I just don't think that hits the right mark. If you're a, a pun just now, on the, particularly in the back of the, the Scottish budget, which to be polite hasn't gone down particularly well with large swathes of the electorate, then I'd be seeking to try and deal with those criticisms and say, this is how we're going to make, pitch our tent ahead of the elections, opposed to talking about independence, which by anyone's measure is, is quite some distance off. I completely get why um, the SNP want to talk about independence. It's the exact same reason why the Tories always want to talk about independence as well, which is that in both cases, the SNP and the Tories, constitutional politics is what wins them votes. They need it. They need to drive their people out. The volumes of people who voted SNP and Tory over the last few elections were motivated by constitutional politics and they need to, they need to get them out. So I understand why uh, Ahams is doing that. And can I ask on that? Sorry to jump in. Can I ask when you say it wins them votes? Does it win new votes or does it appeal to a core vote? It's a core vote strategy. But in the case of the SNP, that core vote is pretty damn big, though, right? Yeah, sure. sure. It's still worth going after. It's a big. It's a core vote strategy, absolutely. But in the case of the SNP, it's a very large core vote. So I do get it, and I'm not necessarily disagreeing with it as an electoral strategy. But I think there is an increasing credibility problem when you say independence will make you better off i could construct a pretty good case for independence making people better off but the problem is devolution isn't making people better off devolution is not making people better off we saw that in the budget scottish people earning over twenty-eight thousand pounds are paying more tax than people in England. And that gap's about to get bigger because Jeremy Hunt is about to cut tax, most probably. And Hamza Youssef has said in response to that that he will not cut tax, so the gap will get bigger. And our public services are, in the case of education, demonstrably poorer than England. And in the case of the NHS, debate to be had, but they're certainly not any better. So more tax, poorer services. That is a square peg in a round hole. And it's very difficult for Hamza Yusuf to say, look how much better off you can be with independence. When people are sitting there looking at devolution and saying, I don't understand that. If devolution is making me worse off, how can independence suddenly make me £10,000 better off? I just, I just don't get it. How does that stack up? And I think that in reality, although those of us who are obviously 
more intimately involved in what he's saying and the numbers and the figures and so on might be able to make a case work. It's very difficult to carry that message forward because there doesn't appear to be any logical reason why that would be the case under the current policy platform. I just think it's a very, very difficult territory. I think the credibility is a problem that all stems from you know, the budget and the approach to the economy that the Scottish government is currently taking, which is inconsistent and really very unpopular with large swathes of people. Just in terms of the, the £10,200 as well, uh, I noted this um, from uh, Kevin Haig, the chairman of These Islands, who sort of pointed to some of the examples that Hamza Yusuf used in his speech as to uh, how Scotland, the examples that Scotland could follow, I suppose, uh, one of which was Denmark. Uh, but he pointed to the kind of the comparison, meaning that Scotland would have to raise all taxes by about 20% in order to kind of match their tax to GDP. Uh, ratio. And Finland, uh, to mimic them, we could raise all taxes by about 30%. So there's a difficulty, isn't there, when, when you kind of when you start throwing around a number like £10,000 better off and comparing to other countries that you kind of lose some of the important detail. And can I just say, on the, on the, I mean, I'm a, quite a follower of quite a lot of aspects of Scandinavian public policy, and mm. it gets talked about, it has been talked about in Scotland for many, many years. It's quite tiresome, though, I have to say, because there are an awful lot of Scottish politicians who only look at one side of the balance sheet when it comes to Scandinavia. They only look at the taxes and they say, that's great, isn't that great? Look how, much, look how happy and healthy everybody is with these high taxes. What they never look at is the fact that Scandinavian public services are very, very heavily decentralised with massive private and voluntary sector involvement in the healthcare system and the education system. They run their healthcare and education systems absolutely nothing like us. They would look at the NHS and they would run a mile the Scandinavians. They have nothing like our public services. They're totally differently organised, um, much more efficient, much better, and not as costly as our ones. And the other really important thing as well, and this we talked earlier on about um, energy in our event coming up in Aberdeen. Let's not think for a second that the Scandinavians have the same approach to economic growth that the Scottish government does. There is no debate in any Scandinavian cabinet about whether or not we believe in economic growth. I can assure you of that. The Scandinavians are absolutely ruthlessly capitalist. They chase economic growth more than anybody else in the world. Uh, and that is part of the reason why they're able to pay for better public services than we have, because they have very high growth economies and they chase growth. They are not ashamed of chasing growth because they know that economic growth is what pays for all the other stuff that they want to do. So I'm really tired of Scottish politicians citing Scandinavia, but only taking the bits that they like and not and inconveniently missing out the bits that are a little bit grubby for them. Let's just add to that then another number from Hamza Yusuf's speech. £20 billion is the number. Uh, this is around industrial strategy. And there's three aspects to this. So, first of all, rejoin the EU, set up a dynamic government ministry to drive, quote, to drive industrial policy and consensus building across institutions, uh, large scale public investment in key areas of comparative advantage. The investment, said Hamza Yusuf, would be around £20 billion over a decade, which would come from oil and gas revenues and borrowing. Um, so this is over the first decade of, of independence is the idea that £20 billion could be found to fund capital uh, spending. Jeff, does this do much for the case of independence that he was trying to build? How much does this further his, his argument? Well, I can't let this question go without talking a little bit about oil and gas it's it's i'm sorry this is a bit hypocritical uh, and rather ironic is it not that only a few short weeks after hamza yusuf said that you know rosebank once the biggest remaining fields in the uk continental shelf shouldn't have gone ahead despite it meeting the climate compatibility checkpoints and going through that process, he then takes to a speech and says, yeah, and this is how we're going to fund this new industrial policy strategy or this capital expenditure within it. And that was a bit galling to me. Let's take it back to Andy's point about comparing with Scandinavian countries on this very similar point. Well, you know, the SNP has currently have a presumption against oil and gas as their proposed policy position it has not been confirmed. Well, Norway didn't get that memo because I'm reading about uh, from Reuters that they're expected to invest almost 21.85 billion 
uh, dollars in 2024 in oil and gas investments. Of course, uh, they're also one of the best examples of a country transitioning to net zero, utilizing that investment and the returns from it to invest in new energies, which is exactly the proposition that I believe Scotland should be doing as well. It is a transition. Manage it. Protect your critical mass in expertise and innovation that will be required uh, to get there. I believe that it's quite galling, if I'm being honest, that that was put in there as a, where that's how we're going to fund it. I'm afraid if in an independent Scotland, the minute after a yes vote, forget about the negotiation period, the minute after a yes vote, the oil and gas industry will come to Butte House and say, right, what are you doing? What is your policy? Because if you're saying there's a presumption of guests, we're off. It's a mature basin. We don't need to be here. We will go where there is money to be made and resource to be made. Now, that's the reality of the way the industry uh, works. And so uh, I found that one quite extraordinary. Uh, to answer your question on the industrial policy strategy that he put forward, though, I think it's a good idea, all in all. Uh, it's something I've been talking about for some considerable time. And I think this goes back to the point about this pitch for the electorate and saying that we need independence for us to unlock this strategy. I think they need to evidence the work that they can do within the devolved powers because there is quite a a fair bit they can do. Crown Estate Scotland, for example, is responsible for all this panoply of uh, offshore wind floating and fixed that we have upcoming as a pipeline of projects. We do have carbon capture there just now, which has been finally uh, approved and we have massive potential in hydrogen. What I'd like him to do as part of this industrial strategy is point to the areas where the Scottish government can advance them and then use as a political strategy the election to say, and by the way, Labour and Tory, whoever of you becomes the UK government, we want X, Y, and Z, whether it be improved grid infrastructure investment capacity or whatever it is, uh, the things that they're responsible for directly. And then you put them on there. And then you say, look, if you get it, you say, that's the SNP standing up for Scotland. That's how we're demonstrating standing up for Scotland. And that's how I think you do it. I don't think you can just go off the, uh, right off the clock at the start of the year and say, right, independence is the only way that we can have an industrial strategy. He makes some very valid points, the levers of independence that are needed to have a full and comprehensive strategy. But I think you have to demonstrate what you can do within the powers that you have at your disposal. And that's where I think this needs to be pitched going forward. Hmm. Jeff mentioned about, um, you know, it's a mature basin and they don't need to be here, they could be elsewhere. And that's, I think we have to accept the fact that the coalition government between the SNP and the Greens, and nobody likes this to be the case, but I think we, you know, we know from the conversations that we're having with clients and others that Scotland is not a brilliant prospect in terms of investability at the moment. It's quite an uncertain environment in terms of capital investment. I mean, I wouldn't go as far as to say it's a hostile environment, although in some sectors like property, it's slightly hostile. But it's certainly an uncertain environment for for investment. We have to accept the fact that at the moment, there are many, many, many countries in most sectors that are more investable than Scotland because they know they're welcome um, and they know that they have a solid return coming to them. You know, if you're, for instance, if you're a pension fund and you want to build uh, a block of built-to-rent flats, you are, you are not doing it in Scotland with rent caps. You're just not. You're going You're going to go and build them in Birmingham instead because you know you're going to get a much more solid return. So there are lots of sectors, and oil and gas is one of them, where the environment is either uncertain or, or, or at times slightly hostile. On energy in particular, we talk a lot about how Scotland's in a unique position and we're geographically blessed and all that sort of thing, and you know we can lead the world in renewables. All those things are true, but let's not pretend that there aren't other countries who are saying the same thing. Absolutely. There's lots of other countries saying exactly the same thing and they're doing it as well. So if you look at something like CCS and hydrogen, it's a great idea to look at one of the things that will underpin Scotland's future economy being green hydrogen. That's great. But green hydrogen is very early in terms of scalability and in terms of mass. And actually, we could right now be exploiting much more in terms of blue hydrogen. For example, we could be decarbonizing our domestic heating right now with blue hydrogen, but we're not doing it because elements of the Scottish government don't like blue hydrogen because it comes from carbon capture and storage, which comes from fossil fuels. So we are tripping ourselves up here and we're sending out mixed signals about energy, mixed signals about investment and mixed signals about what we want because of the competing natures of what's going on inside the Scottish government. So we shouldn't kid ourselves here. 
Yeah, and if I may, and I know we've got our own energy debate coming on at the end of this month, so let's not just make this all about energy. But you know, the first minister has advanced uh, an industrial strategy uh, anchored on uh, renewables, so I think it's fair that we discuss it. Mm. But I just want to add to that point that you make, Andy, and it's so important. Other countries are doing this. The one USP that Scotland has over these other countries is it's got an industry that has found subsea engineering solutions for 50 years. Well, my proposition is protect it, support it, incentivize it to stay here. And the environment that you talk about is so important. So if we were to become independent tomorrow, just say, or have a yes vote tomorrow, how would the industry feel if the new, the, the, to be national government or the current national government is going to be negotiating independence is saying, now we'll have a presumption against the one thing that you make a lot of money about, uh, from just now. Uh, and, and I just wanted to tell you a very quick anecdote. I, mm. Last week I was visiting a supply chain uh, company. It's really interesting. And, and the way he explained it, he said, let's, he said, Jeff, let's just imagine for a second, right, that I uh, was a biscuit manufacturer. And I had plans to diversify into new biscuits that were low carbon in their production. And he said, if the government of the day said, no, 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 we're going to have a presumption against the traditional biscuits that you make, right? Why would I invest as a company in the R&D and the innovation to diversify to the low carbon biscuit? You would just say, no, this market's not friendly for me. We've got to get real. We've got to get serious about this stuff. The opportunity before us is vast because of that existing critical mass, as I say. Let's just get around the table and, and, and treasure what is a national asset whilst accepting that we need to decarbonize quicker by using that asset. And that's what I, I think we were just not doing. That's an industrial strategy for me. Nice. On the podcast so far, and we're about to discuss Anna Sarwar's speech uh, next, but on the podcast so far, in, in dissecting Humza Yusuf's speech, it seems to me there's the theme that he's pointing to independence and using independence as a kind of umbrella for things that potentially could and should be done now, whether that is around kind of industrial strategy, uh, whether that is on tax and spending and these sorts of things. Is that, is that what we're guessing at here, that he's kind of kicking it down the road a bit? Yeah. I've always been a believer that to have a credible platform for independence, you need to demonstrate that you control the things that you have responsibility for well and display good, competent government. And so I think the same follows with this speech as well. Yeah. I'm going to demonstrate what, I, what my government can do in terms of supporting infrastructure investment and the, on your point, Aberdeen Vision support by SGN, and it has had some funding from the UK government feed study about a pipeline from St. Fergus to Aberdeen to decarbonise uh, homes there. So there are plans there. So demonstrate where the Scottish government said, right, we'll make the investments. This is part of our industrial strategy. And incidentally, there's no reason why they couldn't set up a ministry um, uh, for this industrial strategy right now um, having the offshore wind department in it, the green hydrogen department in it, decision-making functions from the government, whether that be, I would propose it be in the northeast of Scotland, given its proximity to so many projects, but it's elsewhere if, if other people want to make that case. So there's a lot of things you could do now to demonstrate that you're up for the cup in this regard. But yes, you, you have to demonstrate competent government and challenge the UK government to meet your demands so that we can make things even better. That's the, the position that I'd like the SNP to take at this election. Try and outflank your principal opposition, which isn't the Tories, it's the Labour Party, on the areas that you'd like to see Scotland benefit. Uh, welcome to 2024 on the Hollywood Sources podcast. If you don't want to hear these ads and you're listening on Apple Podcasts, then you can pay $4.99 a month and you'll never hear the ads again. Just press subscribe at the top of your feed and support the podcast that way. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Holyrood Sources podcast is brought to you in association with SSE Berwick Bank. We all want a clean energy system that creates jobs, tackles climate change and supports local communities. But to get there takes more than just ambition. It takes action. In Berwick Bank, Scotland can build the world's largest offshore wind farm. That's right, the biggest anywhere, creating thousands of jobs in the process. SSE, as Scotland's clean energy champion, can't wait to get started as soon as the project gets the green light from government. Learn more at berwickbank.com. Let's go on and talk then about the uh, principal opposition that Jeff mentions, uh, Labour. And Anna Sarwar, Scottish Labour leader, has also given a speech. Uh, he was speaking yesterday. Um, lots to discuss potentially in this, I think. Perhaps we should start with tax cuts. Uh, Anna Sarwar saying he will consider tax cuts for Scottish people if he becomes First Minister. Uh, his priorities have been set out as follows. Number one, grow the economy. Number two, use the revenue from that to reform public services. And number three is to then consider income tax cuts. Uh, Andy, let's start with you on this pitch from Anna Sarwar. Uh, does it fly? Does it wash for you? Well, yeah, because he knows how to win elections, or he's at least got a pretty good idea of how he's going to win an election. I mean, you know, remember, this is the leader of the Labour Party. Sorry, Andy, 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 sorry, just on that point, how does yeah. Anna Sarwar know how to win elections? On what evidence base? As, as you'll have picked up, I think I qualified that by saying he knows how he thinks he's going to win an election. <laughs> um, but, and, that, and that will stay uh, in the episode. We will not be editing that out. Carry on. Well, indeed. Um, well, but he, he, the point I am rather clumsily trying to get around to making um, is that he, he knows where elections are won from. And that's one from the economic centre ground. You know, this is the leader of the Labour Party, remember. This yeah. is not a party which historically would be the party that is trying to outflank any sitting government uh, with economic sense, right? This is not the history of the Labour Party, but here it is today. The two points that he made were very telling. The first one, as you said, he said the first priority is economic growth. That's not an accident. He's exploiting a gap which has been created by the coalition government um, because the coalition government has put a question mark over economic growth. And so Anasarwar is exploiting that. He's jumping straight into that gap and saying, that is how I get uh, the business community on board uh, and that is how I get centrist, economic centrists in the electorate all over the country on board with me. And not only does it pull votes from the SNP, he's got votes to pull back from the Tories as well. Remember, there's a lot of Labour voters who've been voting for the Tories over the last 10 years because they felt the Tories were a better bet on uh, independence and keeping the union together. Well, they are now travelling back to Labour because they're looking at a Labour prospect. Instead of having Jeremy Corbyn pulling the strings, they're looking at a Darmer Sarwar duo, which is pretty sensible and which they think they can get on board with. So, you know, absolutely, first first priority economic growth. That's saying, hi, SNP voters, come to me um, because I know what I'm doing. Hi, Tory voters, you're safe with me. He's not then talking about massive public service investment in the way that we've heard over the last 10 or 15 years. Give us more money for the NHS. Give us more money for education. If you do that, everything will be fine. We've tested that theory to absolute destruction. We've poured absolutely billions into the NHS and education. They're just getting worse all the time. So we know that doesn't work. We know that it needs reform. And that's exactly what Anas Sarwar said yesterday. He said, you know, priority two public service reform. So this doesn't mean he's going to win. There's a, there's a lot of water to flow under the bridge and I've been quite critical of Labour recently because I think they can be a bit complacent. I think that, you know, you would think they were 10, 15 points ahead in Scotland. They're not. They're losing most polls to the SNP. They've got a big distance to travel. 
They're a little bit too complacent, but I think ultimately they are in the right place. They are in the place where most people are now traveling to, which is let's get this economy going because it's a nightmare and let's do something about our public services. Don't pull the wool over our eyes anymore saying if you just give us some more money, the NHS is going to be great. It's not. The NHS needs to be absolutely started again and so does the education system and everybody knows that now. So he's talking the right language but it doesn't mean it will translate into winning. There's a big, there's a lot of water to flow under the bridge. Yeah, Anna Sarwar is leading them to where the SNP was 2007 to 11, and thereafter until the, the referendum. And that is the economic centre ground. Throughout my entire time in government, people may say this was wrong. Uh, they may say they, 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 that it was right. I, I don't know, but... The reality is we didn't have divergence with the UK government and our income tax rates the entirety of the time I was there. Uh, and and that was deliberate. And it wasn't just a, an Alex Salmon thing. It was a collective cabinet decision and discussion. I remember having these discussions uh, about whether we should vary income tax, both directions, incidentally. That's where, at the time, the SNP viewed they could win elections, and they did. And they stole that kind of uh, territory from the Labour Party. And the Labour Party is now trying to wrestle it back. But I want to touch on, on something that, that Andy said, and he said he was quite critical of Labour recently. And I, I know what you're getting at, Andy. I read something over the, 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 the Christmas break from Rachel Sylvester in The Times, and I thought there was just, I'm just going to read out just a little passage. There is, however, little enthusiasm for Labour. One phrase repeated with remarkable consistency when people are asked about Keir Starmer is, he can't be any worse. It's almost ex- the exact opposite of things can only get better. The Labour anthem in 1997 when Tony Blair won a landslide victory. Now, I think there's an element of that with Anna Sarwar too. And I do think we're going to need to see more meat on the bones in some of these um, policies. I should qualify that R- Rachel Svesta goes on to, to say that actually, Starmer is proposing quite a few radical policies, but perhaps there isn't the character, the, 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 the personality, the oomph behind it to really sell it on the doorsteps. I think Anna Sarwer needs to do this as well in Scotland. So not just be clear about, well, we're not going to do what the SNP did there. We're not going to do what they did uh, with that. Um, we're just going to reverse that uh, very much with 26 in mind. But I do feel this general election, they have to perform very well. I think if they won it, that would give them a very good sense of confidence going into the, the, the 2026 elections. But they need to do well. They need to make significant inroads because the expectations now are so high. To achieve that, I'd like to see more enthusiasm from them. I, I, I think there is complacency potentially creeping in. There's also a nervousness. There's also, I sense from his team, uh, that Starmer's team particularly, that they just don't want to upset the apple cart. You know, I don't think that's a way you go and win elections well. Uh, to win a wet election as well, you do it with gusto and you get behind it. Uh, and I really want to see that with some of these policies because there are some interesting policies, particularly with West Streeting on NHS reform. There are some interesting policies around education as well. Let's see them really go after that uh, in this election year and test it. Have the courage of your convictions. Yeah. One of the things, Andy, I just wanted to mention was that uh, Anna Sarwar insisted that uh, electing more Scottish Labour MPs would give Scotland a voice at the heart of the Labour government. And I thought that was quite interesting because that's clearly sort of going full, you know, full in the face of one of the criticisms of Scottish Labour, which is that, you know, you're just a kind of offshoot, a branch office, whatever, of the Labour Party across the UK. And it just sort of got me thinking about what the kind of attacks and defences will be when it comes to um, the, the Scottish and of the general election. Um, does Sarwar need to do more work in terms of projecting that image of the importance of Scottish Labour in a general election, for example? Well, I think what he's very acutely aware of is um, being categorised, I suppose, in the same way as Tories have been for years in terms of what was what used to be called the democratic deficit mm. with um, a Westminster government being led by Uh, Labour, but them not having sufficient numbers of MPs in Scotland to make it look legitimate. So, I mean, I think he's very um, wary of that. But to be honest, it is a different argument when it comes to Labour and the Tories, I think. I think it's a much easier argument to 
to label the Tories with uh, than it is to label Labour with, especially if Labour do have 15, 20 seats um, and maybe even have more seats than the SNP. That argument will then be pretty much defenestrated. Uh, I, I do think that what will likely happen is that the SNP will use what could colloquially be called the Red Tories argument, where they basically say, you know, oh, you're just the same as the Tories. I, I think they will fall into that trap. And I think it is a trap because mm. I don't think that really cuts the mustard outside of the political bubble, to be honest with you. Nobody really thinks the Tories and Labour are the same um, outside of, of that kind of political bubble. I don't think it'll... And it's actually quite insulting to people who just voted Labour to then immediately call them Tories anyway. So I do think the SNP will probably fall into that trap, but I don't, I don't think that um, will be really a huge problem for Labour, to be honest. Okay. Uh, and just another couple of thoughts, actually, to mention, just by way of kind of concluding things that I've scribbled down here, just as you guys have been talking. One is uh, is on the Greens and their influence in, in government at this point, because it strikes me, Jeff, that in terms of Hamza Yusuf industrial strategy for an independent Scotland, his mention of oil and gas actually does put him kind of at odds with his coalition partners in, in Scottish government, albeit with an independence kind of mindset, um, which is kind of in the distance at some point. But but sort of mentioning oil and gas, being quite pro pro oil and gas, does put a bit of distance between him and his green Scottish government partners, does it not? Uh, well, I um I don't think Hamza has been pro oil and gas actually in his public sure. pronouncements. He's been he's been supportive of the industry and its workers, but in terms of future production and exploration, he was pretty critical of, of Rosebank, as I said um, earlier in my, my comments. Yeah. Um, I think what's more interesting on this particular point, though, is there's a licensing bill that's going through the UK Parliament uh, just now. And um, the SNP popped down an, an amendment. Sorry, this is for um, future licenses in the, in the, in the UK CS, which has become quite politicised, given, I thought, Rishi Sunak's... Um, overhanded big um, announcement about the 100 new licenses and all the rest of it. I didn't think it had to be done in that way. But uh, they've essentially put down an amendment which makes clear their support for continued oil and gas exploration and net zero journey on the basis that there are assessments around climate impact and effect on energy bills. Now, on the first one, of course, the climate impact is what all licenses that's what the nsta the north sea transition authority has to do anyway before they give that sort of approvals on energy bills more difficult to assess but i think it's a good amendment and i think that that's actually showing that there's a presumption in favor from the smp westminster group so is that a sign that hamza will maybe be a bit more accommodating i don't know what does that mean for the greens uh i'm not sure i i i think that the Coalition's pretty solid until the general election. Uh, uh, Then, depending on the results, so the SNP performed better than expected, and by better than expected, I say losing somewhere like 10 to 15 seats. I think, you know, he can say, well, we've outperformed expectations. Um, uh, We're sorry to see 15 MPs go, but we'll regroup and fight uh, for 2026. Anything more than 15 seats, and certainly a loss in seats at that election, I think this green relationship will have to be looked at. I think that there's enough uh, murmurings of discontent around both the parliamentary party, but also the membership that are saying, hey, listen, this isn't working. So that's what I think you know, the future of the green relationship will rest on as a result of the election. I don't disagree with any of that. But this is a matter of consistency, I think. I mean, the difficulty is, um, you know, Hamza Yusuf is being pulled from two sides and there's only so long you can do that before you stretch too far. I mean, uh, yes, he can say, he can talk about oil and gas and investment and CCS and all that sort of thing. But then the next day, there'll be something about a presumption against. And you, you can't demand that people can read the signs. You can't demand that people can understand the language and see through the language. You know, the, yeah. the smoke signal that's being given off is different on different days and different depending on who you speak to. Some days were pro-oil and gas and some days were anti-oil and gas. Well, that's all fine for the political knockabout in the newspapers in Scotland, but it's not very good for an international investor. How no. You can't expect them to understand that. You can't expect them to take stability from that. I mean, 
I agree with Jeff. I think the coalition is absolutely in place until the general election. But again, you know, even if you take it away from the energy side of things, you, you've got you've got somebody like Neil Gray who is very credible with the business community and is going around boardrooms reassuring everybody that you know they're in favour of economic growth and know what they're doing. But then the next day you get a budget which you know, says the exact opposite. Um, I think the influence of the Greens is still very high. There was a really interesting story in the Herald that was kind of sneaked out during Christmas and New Year, where I think it was a joint interview with uh, Patrick Harvey and Lorna Slater, the leaders of the Green Party, who said quite extraordinarily explicitly, um, said how important Ross Greer was, the backbench Green MSP, um, in terms of pulling the strings in uh, the coalition. And in fact, went so far as to say that he had a, a fortnightly meeting with the Deputy First Minister to make sure that the Green demands uh, from the agreement were uh, on track. Uh, and I think the phrase was used to, to continue to push the SNP beyond their comfort zone. I mean, you know, that's great for the Greens. And I've said many times before in this podcast, I've lauded Ross Green and the Green Party, who I think have done a phenomenal job over the last uh, couple of years as part of this coalition. Extraordinary political concessions they've extracted. But it's not very good if you're an SNP person reading that, uh, saying to yourself, hold on a second, who's actually running the show here? Who's running the show? Uh, and again, I think there's there's that massive inconsistency where one day the smoke signal gets sent out saying we are a prosperous, entrepreneurial, would-be independent country that wants to attract growth and attract uh, innovation and all that sort of thing. And, you know, come to us, look at us, look how great we are. And then the next day we're saying, actually, we don't believe in economic growth. We believe in the well-being economy and progressive taxation. I mean, you know, we can, we get it. Okay, because we understand the dynamics of internal politics and holding this coalition together. But you can't expect other people outside the country to get it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just want to touch on a couple of points you made there, Andy, because I think the one thing I should have said about that kind of seemingly divergent views between the SNP Westminster Group and what the First Minister is saying is there is that message discipline issue that the SNP have, you know, dined out on being brilliant at actually uh, for so long uh, in recent years, not so much. And they need to fall in a position and pretty soon and be clear with the electorate on uh, that. You mentioned something that I think is really interesting and you mentioned twice now about the Scottish budget and its impact. You've got to remember that this divergence, further divergence in income tax rates will take effect in the new financial year. Just after Jeremy Hunt on March the 6th, I believe, has given his budget in which there might be even greater divergence. That's going to be a bit of an issue, is it not, for the Scottish political discourse ahead of the election? A much bigger issue we might have anticipated. And so I think playing that into the mix as well is not going to be easy for the SNP, who will want to talk about loads of different things and even including their industrial strategy policy, I'm sure. And yet, there's going to have just been perhaps greater divergence in income tax in April uh, from, from March, if you take my meaning. You know, mm-hmm. So it's, it, could, it could get even further. That is not a terribly good platform to go into an election campaign. Yeah. Uh, and I think they've got to be looking at that pretty carefully in terms of how they resist that becoming the dominant narrative. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned message discipline, Jeff. Just a couple of um, other bits of uh, uh, of news and lines and things that you just want to discuss by way of concluding this first episode of the new year for us. Uh, Tommy Shepard, uh, uh, the SNP MP, he's referred to as a senior MP, of course, in this context. He says the debate on independence stops if the SNP loses the coming general election. He said the vote uh, would be about whether the journey continues towards national autonomy. Um, now, you can perhaps kind of see what his strategy is here to try to provoke people to go and vote for the SNP. But in terms of a headline and in terms of a message, this is quite far from the discipline about which we were just talking, is it not? Quite a quick answer to that. Yes, uh, I think <laughs> it's basically Thomas saying, vote for the SNP or we can't talk about India anymore, thinking about the fact that independence is still polling much higher than the SNP. It goes back to the point, I think, that Hamza's trying to to make as well with uh, making his first speech about uh, independence. Don't like the line, it it is for the people of Scotland to decide what they want to debate. Nobody else. Uh, Politicians have to represent their views. Okay, there we go. Uh, I want to check in actually with both of you on where we're at with our general election uh, bet as well. Uh, Andy and Jeff. Andy, can you remind us of the terms of the bet? (laughs) 
<laughs> it's now been quite long yes, running, I, but I will can. be concluded this year. Yeah, well, the the bet is 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 really quite simple, actually. Um, it is a a, a bet that's hundred pound. I think it's hundred pound. It's a hundred pound bet. I think. Um, I think it's charity, yeah. obviously. Um, uh, and it's a simple bet where Jeff, the nationalist, thinks that Labour will get more seats than the SNP <laughs> in the election, uh, and I, uh, the uh, unionist, although I call myself a federalist, but that's for a whole other podcast, um, <laughs> think that the SNP will get more seats than Labour. I don't know what we do in the event of a draw. I don't think we. I don't think the small print has yet included that, but we will do it. In the event of a draw, you both give me a hundred quid, and that'll settle that. Uh, and uh, that's what, so. That's the just for new listeners who might be joining us in twenty twenty four. That's a bet that underpins uh, a lot of what is going on here. So just bear that in mind as we uh, enter general election campaign territory. And just another another comment. This is from the first of January, um, Jeff. That I noted down just to kind of put to you, Nicola Sturgeon's former chief of staff, saying the SNP faces its biggest challenge in twenty years. This is Liz Lloyd saying the party still has some way to go to convince people it's recovered from Sturgeon's resignation, which was in March last year. Um, she also said it faced the problem of of Labour being seen as a credible UK government. How do you reflect on these comments? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think her, her main point was the SNP faces its most significant challenge in 20 yeah. years. Yes, I think that's probably right, although I would argue that getting into government itself was quite a big challenge. Um, but if the SNP is to solve the problem that it's currently in, in terms of uh, the reversal in polls and apparent credibility with the electorate. It needs to uh, agree and recognise the root of the problem. And I think Liz Lloyd said this in her comments. She said, Hamza Yusuf has had nine months to clear the decks of policies that were left over from the Nicola Sturgeon time, issues which were causing him difficulty. Yes, that's the point. And in fairness to Hamza Yusuf, it wasn't all his policies that put the SNP in such a difficult position. It was the policies that he inherited, which presumably Liz Lloyd advised upon. So perhaps just a little bit more humility uh, from those who went before in recognising the scale of the precarious position that uh, Hamza was landed in from Nicola Sturgeon and her advisers uh, beforehand. Thank you both very much. Uh, that is the first episode of Hollywood Sources for you for the new year. Thank you for being with us. If you're new, welcome. Uh, you're not joining too late at all. We're very glad that you're here. There is lots to come over the course of this general election year in 2024, and we bring you inside Scottish politics to analyse it all with Jeff and Andy and guests as well. Lots of those to come over the next few months as well. Please subscribe. Please follow the podcast and tell your friends. This is a great year to get plugged into Scottish politics. In the podcast, podcast that is listened to by more than 80% of Scottish parliamentarians. They are listening. You can have your voice heard as well. You can email anytime, hello at hollywoodsources.com to get in touch. This is the place for Scottish political discussion. We're so glad to have you there. Stick with us and we'll speak to you again next week.